0: Welcome to This is the Bad Place, a podcast about the NBC TV show The Good Place and the journey of two ex-evangelicals leaving white evangelicalism.
1: And welcome to This is the Bad Place, a Good Place recap podcast with two ex-evangelicals. That's me and that's you, Crispin.
0: Yes, and we are getting into it. Episode four, things are happening. Dude, I'm jazzed. I know, this was my favorite episode thus far. This
1: is such a good episode and it's such a fun show to watch and re-watch. Uh, however, you don't have to watch The Good Place or re-watch it to enjoy our jamberings about this show, and you can just let the sound of our voices wash over you.
0: I do wonder how good we are at explaining what's going on in the show. Yeah, I
1: don't think, like, an autistic person, an ADHD person... Who hyperfixate on very different things. I'm not sure we're like the best right. at recapping. Yeah,
0: I think that we each have our own like things, and there's probably a lot in the middle that is missing. But yeah, you know. I'm a bit
1: of a cheaty. You're a bit of a.
0: What am I a bit of? We <laughs> I decided. I was
1: Jason, but I'm d- like, it's not accurate.
0: <laughs> we just des- no, I don't. There's nobody that I particularly identify with a right. lot. I think I try to be a Tahani, but I'm not a Tahani.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of Tahani in you.
0: Right? I'm a big people pleaser.
1: That's so true. So, yeah, The Good Place, the show that first aired in 2016, um, we're talking about episode four today, chapter four, which is about...
0: Jason Mendoza.
1: Yes, that took you a while, but yes. (laughs) Finally, we get to talk about Jason, who is not a Taiwanese monk, after all. No. But is a bro from Jacksonville, Florida. And and let me tell you, Crispin, Florida's gonna come up a bit in this
0: show and <laughs> right. in this
1: episode.
0: We have Eleanor from Arizona uh-huh. and Jason from Florida.
1: Because evidently Mike Shore is like hates Florida. And also Arizona at this uh-huh. time period. But yes. yeah, you know
0: what I mean? Right, yeah, totally. I mean, for those that have you know, I have also watched Brooklyn ninety nine, You can also see the Florida hate in that show as well. Yeah,
1: it's been like a thing for him, which mm-hmm. is really fascinating to me. So, okay. I don't think we need to talk about us anymore. Let, should we go to the synopsis? Yes. And uh-huh. remember how, like, you and I are married and how we love doing projects together. And then every once in a while, there will be a part of a project we do together that makes us, like, fight a lot. Uh-huh. And remember how, like... Trying to do episode synopses um, does that. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so today we're going to have Mark Evan Jackson, who at some point will appear in this show. Not yet, and in the realm of this world, not a part of this show. Um, But we're going to have him do the episode synopsis because he had a Good Place podcast that is... Quite a bit better than ours.
0: Quite a bit different.
1: Just because he had access. I mean, we're talking about the ethical questions, and we are also talking about how we have come out of the bad place, which is Christian fascism, um, white evangelical land. Okay, so I think instead of you and I just fighting over who's the worst <laughs> at reading a synopsis, I think why don't we just let Mark Evan Jackson do it? Okay, here we go.
2: Welcome to the Good Place, the podcast. I'm Mark Evan Jackson. I play
0: Sean. Today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 4 Jason Mendoza. Gianni reveals to Eleanor that he doesn't belong in the good place and that he's really a drug dealing Filipino American DJ named Jason Mendoza from Jacksonville. His prayer room is actually filled with video games. Eleanor and Chidi try to convince Jason to hide his real identity. Tahani organizes the launch of a new restaurant, which Jason uses as the opportunity to tell the truth. Eleanor creates a diversion, which ends up causing a giant sinkhole to open in the floor. Okay. Okay. That was succinct. Love hearing his voice.
1: Oh, he has the best voice. Mm -hmm. And he's such a Good Place super fan, super nerd. Like, I love listening to that podcast. Everyone should go listen to it if you want to even, like, double your enjoyment. If you're (laughs) rewatching, if you're listening to this one, it's literally just called The Good Place, the podcast. So, Crispin, this episode, all about Jason Mendoza, where we we learn about him, how he's not really a silent Buddhist monk. Um, It first came out the very end of September in 2016. So things were heating up with the election. We were all feeling nervous, but like, I'm pretty sure Hillary Clinton's going to win. Let's watch this show on NBC. And then this episode drops. I'm just putting you in the cultural, you know, framework.
0: Perfect. Yeah.
1: What did you think when you first watched this episode?
0: It's funny, you bring up the political stuff and it was it did not really register politically for me. I just remember thinking how trivial good and bad was. Like this sense of like, here's this guy just like living his life and he does things that maybe are not wise, but like he's just living his life, surviving. And it really brings up this like feeling of like how trivial... My upbringing was of like thinking through every single action. So that's what I remember feeling was just sort of like, this is just a dude. And like, why do we put so much emphasis on being good or bad?
2: Oh, okay.
1: Well, when I watched it in 2016, I remember feeling kind of annoyed at like the sinkhole element of like, okay, is this just going to be a sitcom where like bad things happen each episode? They sort of get resolved, but then another bad thing. I was, so- I was a little bit fatigued of like, Oh, is this what this show is going to be about? Uh, what made up for that to me was just how funny Jason was, how every line was hilarious. Um, and then sort of like some of the ethical tensions. And, you know, we're just getting to know these characters more. Cheaty, Eleanor. And this one was so much Jason. It was so fun because he was so new, so different and uh, you know the little characters like Pillboy we'll come back to Pillboy Pillboy's mm-hmm. the best like, right. literally the best
0: so you just talked about this piece of like not liking where just stressful things happen yes. mm-hmm. right I think we were both sensitive people yeah. sensitive kids I remember not liking watching movies like Toy Story for example because it's just like this is a whole movie about something bad happening and then you have to wait till the very end which was most kids movies yeah I don't know if you felt that way like I mean, growing yeah, up
1: yeah sort of and so this is is like Eleanor is like, okay, we can't let Jason reveal that he's Jason. He has to keep being Jianyu. He wants to be honest. So I'm going to ruin this cake. And then the sinkhole opens and that, you know, I'm just like, uh, oh,
0: yeah, I mean, I'm totally tracking with Chidi in this. You just see his facial expression the whole time of just the tension and stress and... That's how I, yeah, I think how both of us feel watching it. And Tahani's
1: pretty stressed in this, too. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so I think if we want to go to the rewatch, how we experience it now, I really was more focused on the ways that Eleanor and Chidi both try and partner up to get Jason to try and pretend. And they're like, things were so much better when you were pretending. Whereas we see Jason and through a lot of flashbacks being like, pretending has never worked out well for me. I like who I am. I'm, you know, and mm-hmm. he's like the first character without shame and anxiety mm-hmm. that is introduced to us. So I was I was more f- kind of focusing on that,
0: mm-hmm. right? He's a really silly character. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that in a minute. But there is this element of like he's like I really like who I am.
1: Mm-hmm. He says that.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, at one point they were talking, he was like I really miss being myself cuz myself was cool. And, like, just picking up on that and, like, recognizing what a good character quality that is to be able to show up in the world and say, like, I like myself is a huge thing. And I think that in 2016, that was not even really on my radar at all. No. So.
1: Like, what would you have thought in 2016 when Jason's like, I like who I am?
0: Yeah, I think it's like, okay, well, that's good. But, like, we got to, like, you know... We gotta work on this a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would have thought it was almost like another Florida man joke, right?
0: Uh-huh. People
1: chaotic people uh you know, like right. haven't self-reflected enough, which is why they still like themselves. And right?
0: that is what's so interesting about this episode, is like sorry, I got excited yeah, about you that. You
2: did, my goodness. <laughs>
0: because it does at first watch, it kind of feels like here's someone who's not reflective, but watching it back you can see his wheels turning and he is reflective. He's like, no, actually, like, I do like being who I am and I do not like hiding behind a mask, yes. which he literally does at some point. Like he, he you know, is, uh, wears the mask of another DJ pretending to be that yeah. DJ. Um, but then he's like, no, I don't want to wear the mask. Like, I want to show up in this world who I am. Yeah, And I think that's a really beautiful thing that comes from a deep place within him.
1: Yeah, and I think this episode really is showing, like, for, for people like Jason, like, you can't really mask for that long. <laughs>
2: right. So then what
1: does that mean for this system that says you have to? So that's, mm-hmm. like for me that's kind of the ethical question we'll get to the ethical question Mm -hmm. um but do you have any favorite things about this episode
0: everything that jason says like at the beginning he says all right this is either an alien zoo or a prank show Right. And then
1: Elder's like, no, it we're dead. Like, right. this is the afterlife. Yeah. But the Alien Zoo are prank show. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, love it.
0: Yeah. She asks him, like, you know, what did you do for a living? One of the things that he says is uh, one of his professions is doing pranks on Vine which is funny because i think vine had already like been out of no, service. No, i think it
1: was still around but in now it's not. I don't yeah. know. I um, I listened to like the one of the show writers like so many vine stars were from Florida.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, uh-huh. Like, stupid people just
2: do stupid stuff. Yeah. So that
0: was funny. Yeah. Um, I love that he is romantically interested in Janet, who, if you've been following along, is sort of the good place, Siri. Um, so he's like, Is she single? Or is she married to Michael? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in one of the flashbacks, we learn that his DJ name is Mr. Music, the DJ. Mr.
1: Music, the DJ. <laughs> right.
0: Yep. And um, also, of course, in this episode, uh, as Mark Evan Jackson mentioned, he has his meditation room that is actually just filled with video games and like posters of Victoria's Secret models.
1: I know. I was like, is that is that one of the Jenners? Like Kylie Jenner? I could not figure out not- who... We're on the posters. Right.
0: I don't know either. I feel like it's...
1: Women in bikinis.
0: One of the, I feel like there's one of the Kates who was married to a soccer player that was a Victoria's Secret model was one Pos- of them. I don't
1: think it was Posh because they mentioned Posh and Bex in <laughs> okay. another part of this okay. episode. Yeah. That would be funny, but right. I don't think so.
0: But he calls it his bud hole. And so he tells Eleanor, like, let me show you my bud hole. Um, Which then we find out is a hole where he hangs out with his buddies
1: Which is a great name for like a marijuana cave I
0: know that's what I thought I was like I totally thought that's where they were going This is
1: before it was legalized in Oregon So they couldn't make those jokes Mm -hmm. But I do now I make that
0: joke yeah, I could just keep going but I won't. Um y'all should go back and rewatch it and chuckle for yourselves. So many
1: good elements. I think my one of my favorite parts and this is like so small, but I just love it when Eleanor hears some EDM music and goes and and Jason is wearing like <laughs> A Florida Jaguars jersey over his Buddhist monk outfit is just kind of like dancing weirdly and like if you look at him in the background he's just like fidgeting with his like jersey the whole time like this really weird little you know ADHD kind of way and mm-hmm. I just thought it was great he's a very physical actor Manny Jacinto and he's, he's incredible this yeah. is like I think one of his first big acting roles and um, he basically I guess kind of surprised a lot of people because he was literally silent for the first three and mm-hmm. then she just busts out into this episode and you're like, this person's a star, like a star.
0: Right. And Comedic
1: re- improv actor. I, we got to say, one of the absolute best lines is, I'm not really a Taiwanese monk. I am Filipino. Heaven is racist. <laughs> yes. Heaven is racist. And I was like, should I put that on a keychain?
0: <laughs> Heaven is racist? Yeah. I love that. And that's
1: a good
2: one, right?
0: <laughs> yes. Um, other parts I loved uh, Tahani. Whenever she has very British lines, like when they're keeping the secret from Tahani, and she sh- sort of picks up on it, and she says, "You've got a whisper in your snickerbox," <laughs> and also snickerbox
1: uh, sounds very dirty. I know, right? You ask.
0: It's one me? of those things. It's one of those like British things that sounds That's not real. That I don't know. That, I'm googling. I don't know. I, I mean, it could be. It could not be. <laughs> no.
1: you can all google Snickerbox and come to your own conclusions i'm not gonna share what i found here um but you can all google that okay
0: uh last thing eleanor's favorite meal on earth was the hunger strike to protest bolivian sex trafficking where she didn't eat anything
1: i was like trying to look at the other meals people had um and I feel like one was fried chicken with gold on it. Like, <laughs> pieces of gold scattered on the fried chicken. Um, you and I can talk about what our favorite meals would be in heaven if you want to, but we don't have to. Mine yeah. would be, like, Taco Bell.
0: It's funny. Mine would be enchilada casserole. Oh my <laughs> which is, like, you know, what you do if you grew up in a white... Uh, which is which lower,
1: is lower, lower middle class.
0: That's so. yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> like it is really nothing to do with Mexican cuisine, let's be clear.
1: Right. Yeah, mine would probably be talking about or like mashed potatoes and gravy, because I do love that. Um this... I
0: did love that somebody had Peanut M&M's, just a plate of peanut M&M's. <laughs> oh, was
1: that what they were? They were gumballs. Uh-oh. Okay, but maybe not. Okay, let's get to my favorite part, which is, what is the ethical question or dilemma presented in this episode? I'll just start a tiny bit, and then I'll get your feedback on this. Okay. So we have Professor cheaty uh, you know, parts of that in this episode with his blackboard. I took a screenshot Of everything on it, which we can share, you know, in our Instagram. But uh, basically, it's a bunch of, you know, people from back in the day. We have Plato in the Republic. And this is all about conceptions of the self, okay? Mm -hmm. Then we have Anima, which I guess was a treatise by Aristotle. Then we have John Locke's Parable of the Sock. We have the Bhagavad Gita. We have Lao Tzu. um, And then David Hume. So... My eyes are already glazing over. I mm-hmm. tried researching all of these things. Basically, like, the parable of the sock is just this question. Like, if you have a pair of socks, it gets a hole, and you patch that hole. Is it still your pair of socks? What if you patch another hole? What if you patch another hole? What if you patch another... And basically, you, like, repatch all of it. Is it still your sock?
0: Mm-hmm. Which,
1: this is the shit that people thought about back then. And I just don't care about it all.
0: okay, I resonate deeply with what with the parable of the sock
2: uh, why?
0: <laughs> because okay, so this is what I wanted to get into, and okay. this is like I think pretty specific to growing up evangelical, but I think a lot of people have some version of this as a therapist, I will say most people have some version of okay. this that struggle with like self-criticism, et cetera so we'll we'll tie that in outside of evangelicalism, but For me, I grew up being told, like, you are loved as you are, but you also are sinful. And so, like, if you weren't sinful, if you were a good version of yourself, like, you would be totally different. And for me, it was like, well, does that mean I'm really loved if really the only acceptable version of myself is this, like, better version? And for Mm -hmm, me, it was mm -hmm. like, you're going to get into heaven, and you're going to be perfect there, and God's going to love you. Yeah, And, like... God loves that version of you. God doesn't really love the version of you that exists now, which I think really parallels with if you grew up in a home where your parents are always sort of like praising you when you're good and shaming you when you're bad, it creates this false sense of self of like, the self that I really am is not lovable. Yeah. Right? But like, if I could just be better, then I could, you know, feel better about myself. I could be lovable. I could be good. And I think it relates to the sock piece because it's sort of like, yeah, if it's like this, you know, better version of yourself that is lovable, then you don't actually feel loved or accepted as you are.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, the way that that plays into both you and I growing up in a high-control religion, which is white evangelicalism, that had these very explicitly stated rules for how to be good
2: Mm -hmm. and how to
1: be lovable. Like, that makes so much sense to me, and that's obviously how we are coming to watch this show. I think it's fascinating to kind of step back and be like, this show is not coming from that place, Right. right? But, and so it introduces these, like, big-picture ethical philosophers, but that's not actually what the episode is about at mm-hmm. all. So I think it's funny. Like, there's stuff for the ethicist nerds, and then there's stuff for people who are more like Jason and Eleanor who are like, who cares? However, I do think it's interesting how they're using Cheedy and this concept of ethics to say that the way the good place is set up and ordered is correct.
0: Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, totally. Like
1: Chidi's teaching them how to be good using these ancient texts, which will support how the good place is set up and running. So let's just keep that in mind.
0: (laughs) When you say ancient texts, it makes it sound like you're trying to draw a connection to an ancient text when that we read a lot. When people use
1: ancient texts to convince you that you must change who you are and hide your true self in order to earn your place into a quote-unquote perfect society, yeah, things can get tricky. Now, mm-hmm. the ethical question I kind of zeroed in on sort of is the crux of Jason and right what he is kind of revealing to us the viewers. And so, I guess I would sum it up like this. My the ethical question I came away with is how good can a place be if you have to hide who you really are to earn your place there.
2: Okay? Mm-hmm. Like how
1: good is that? And I think underneath that question is this concept of trauma, right? And so there's some that's something that I think later seasons of the show gets into, but Uh, you know you're a therapist who works with trauma a lot i i I don't know how much therapists rely on ethicists because these are people trying to figure out how the world works and their work has been used to what am i trying to say their work has not been very trauma informed right at least how it showed up in my life christian ethics are not trauma informed at all and in you know, they really mirror what's going on in the show The Good Place. Too.
0: Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the whole thing is this is all set up on the premise of if you're a good person, you deserve certain things. If you're a bad person, you deserve other things. Yeah. Right. You are lovable if you're good. You are not lovable if you are bad, which uh, which actually like we see Chidi also subverting Because he, in some sense, loves Eleanor enough, even though she's been bad, to try to get her good things. So he's actually like going against that system in a way while also upholding it. But I think that there's, yeah, this whole idea of there are good people and there are bad people. And a trauma informed approach is like we all learn to adapt in certain ways and act in certain ways. And that doesn't mean that we don't let people off the hook for their actions and how they impact others. But I think that there's this piece that is important that at least I approach things with, which is that people are inherently valuable and lovable. And um, and so getting into this whole idea of like, are you a good person or a bad person really isn't very helpful, especially when it comes to who gets to decide that. Uh, you can yeah. decide like, this person in my life is, like, really hurting me and I want to stop having them in my life. That's fine. Yeah. But that's different than a whole system that says, like, you either get kept or you get thrown away.
1: Yeah. So, what was... Growing up in white evangelicalism, what was the main determiner you were given for who's good and who's bad?
0: Uh, a lot of it was, like, religious identity.
1: Right. Right. So, if you're a Christian, you're good.
0: hmm And if you're not a Christian... You're bad.
1: You're bad. Not only are you doomed to hell, but you are probably trying to turn society right into a place where God, Christians are persecuted and God's angry, and you, you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. that's what I was taught. right. And also, America's good. You know,
2: mm-hmm. other countries
1: are bad. Like it. It. There's a lot of that going on. But for me. Growing up a pastor's kid, homeschooled, right? It's just like, yeah, the secular, godless liberals are bad. Christians mm-hmm. are good. And it's funny, like, the farther you get in, right, it's like, well, only a very specific kind of Christian is good, right? Mm-hmm. Catholics, no. Um, liberals. Pro- progressive, mainline liberals, no. Um, Baptists, not really. Like, it was funny, uh-huh. like, non-denominational, charismatic, like... <laughs> The bread and butter of the right wing currently. Like that was how I grew up.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: obviously one of the other things was, um, yeah, conservative politics
2: was Mm -hmm. good.
1: Liberal, democratic politics was bad. And those were 100% bound together for Mm -hmm. my upbringing, my childhood, and including uh, like the curriculum I was raised on as a homeschooled child
0: Mm -hmm. equated those
1: things as well.
0: Right, yeah. Just this really strong polarization, all or nothing thinking. Do you right?
1: think do you think that kids in public school were getting that kind of thing? Were they reading in textbooks no. about how right wing Christians wanted to take over the country and get the Supreme Court on their side and use propaganda to reach the lower middle class Christians? You know what I mean? Right. No, no. they were not. But I was being raised. To hear about how the gay agenda was at work and the liberal like it's so wild to step back and mm-hmm. think about how indoctrinated we were
0: right to yeah. see the
1: world and there's good people and there's bad people and of course we're the good ones
0: yeah I was thinking about uh Chidi uh, is giving Eleanor classes and then also Jason classes to be a better person mm-hmm. and I was like oh that actually was like sums up my religious upbringing oh. <laughs> right like what like you know sunday school and church can be a lot of things but it was this training and how to be a better person
1: yeah what did we have like i got it from my parents at home we had like a morning Bible time with my mom. I went to like Wednesday night church. I went to Sunday morning church. When I got older, I went to youth group. That was at least once a week, sometimes more week long summer camps. And then I went to Bible college. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I've literally been sitting in classes with people standing up front, instructing me how to be a good person.
0: Right. Um, And I'm thinking also about Christian media.
1: Yeah. I mean, those are the books we read. Those are the shows we watch. Like it, when people sometimes people come for both you and i when we talk about our problems with christianity and they're just like that's how all religions are and i'm like let's take a step back like the amount of indoctrination i've had is it's pretty unique Mm -hmm. um and we have a it's it's a If you take a step back, this is religious extremism, like the amount of indoctrination I've experienced. Mm -hmm. And the United States has a religious extremism problem, specifically when it comes to white Christian nationalists. And that's what white evangelicalism is. And so I just think it's interesting that you bring up that point, like the Mm. explicit instruction in how to fit into this system to be good, which now- To earn your place. To earn your place. So now- Let's let's make this a little personal. Okay. Just like Jason, just like Eleanor. And I think Jason and Eleanor have two really different responses to being told, like... You You suck. You suck. You don't belong here. And you need to try and learn the rules of this system and absorb the information if you want to earn your place here. Okay? Mm -hmm. And they both have really different responses. And mine was just, like, Cheaties you know, like, and maybe a little bit of Eleanor that I'm not even aware of. So I am 39 years old. And it wasn't until this last year that I really started to understand that I'm non-binary. And I have never fit into the strict gender codes and norms of how to be like a good Christian woman. And, And the pressure to do that was pretty overwhelming. And so I just try not to think about it very much, and I just knew I was different. Um, I I dressed like a boy, you know, from age 13 to, like, 15, maybe 12 to 15, like, literally. Mm -hmm. And the only reason my parents didn't freak out is because I said I was doing it to reach punk rockers for jesus cuz so i dressed like a punk rock cuz i started a punk band and all my and hair all the short, punk
0: rockers you knew were boys
1: yeah there wasn't any girls in uh-huh. that scene and my parents were also just relieved because i didn't want to have sex with boys and so that was a huge deal in christian culture right like mm-hmm. don't dress provocatively don't cause men to stumble why well, was that causing Men to stumble, okay, with my three sports bras and a band t-shirt and my cords and my uh, weird, you know, chain wallets and skater shit. Like, and so I think this episode kind of brought up, like, how much I had to just push down all of that to survive. And I think there's been periods in my life um, where I have tried to look more like a quote-unquote Christian woman- And do that. I would curl my hair. I wore scarves. You know, I was a Christian (laughs) speaker writer person.
2: Mm -hmm. And I
1: was like, I have to conform. But that's not really me. And it wasn't until we had our kids and we started having more friends and relationships with people who are gender expansive. I was like, wait a minute. You don't have to be one or the other there's a lot of us out here that don't fit into this and it's not really a huge deal. Well, it's quite the time to be having those realizations Mm -hmm. as, you know, trans people and gender nonconforming people of all types are now the biggest scapegoat the religious right has in order to garner votes. So, This is pretty personal to me. And Mm -hmm. it took me so many years to be able to even have the mental capacity to think about this because I was trying so hard to live up to the rules of how to be good in this system. And if we can just get really personal here.
0: (laughs) Didn't you say that two minutes ago? (laughs) Yeah.
1: But I'm going to take it even one step farther. Um, You know, growing up a pastor's kid, like, the level of like homophobia and transphobia I have heard throughout the decades of my life from my parents, from their friends, from the media I was given, and, and the way it's ramped up in really recent years. It's like, I'm never gonna forget those things that I've heard people who are supposed to love me unconditionally have said. Um, and that's where I think a lot of people are at right now, especially if you come. From a place like white evangelicalism, some kind of high control religion that uses the gender binary and gender hierarchy, because that's mm-hmm. really what it's about. It's not mm-hmm. about there being a binary, it's about men right. are should be in charge, mm-hmm. right? And women need to be subservient.
0: And right. Trans so,
1: people like ruin all of that. Mm-hmm. They literally ruin all of that. Which mm-hmm. is why they've become this scapegoat. And it's not just trans people, it's trans kids. That are the scapegoat and that's, I, I mean, this is a five alarm call. Like mm-hmm. if you come from this community, if you come from a Christian community that is scapegoating trans kids, like now's the time to fucking revolt
2: mm-hmm.
1: and say this system isn't good if you have to demonize children mm-hmm. to keep it going. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That was my rant.
0: You don't need to be sorry. Okay. Okay. Very important. Okay, and I think I, I was thinking about that aspect of oh, like we both resonated with Jason's um, acceptance of himself, and I it did make me think about the ways that I've learned from queer people, mm-hmm. right? Like that is the antidote to shame is to be able to like be like this is who I am like I don't want to I don't want to put on a mask I don't want to fit in you know into the system like force myself to fit into the system I'm not saying that is has not come at such a great cost and That is, I think, the way forward. Um, And I think not just with queer people, but with neurodivergent people. And, like, so many folks that, like, do not fit in, like, a white supremacist system, Yeah, you know?
1: It's so true. I was trying to think, I'm like, does Jason have anything to be ashamed about? Like... Everything that was talked about in this episode, what do you think?
0: I I well, I mean, maybe selling fake drugs to college kids. To
1: college kids, but if we think about how he was raised, he's obviously lower income. Mm-hmm. So I'm like in my mind he's selling fake drugs to privileged white kids probably, uh-huh, right? Yeah, like is that right. such a problem <laughs> to not get them high? You know, hopefully, there's right. nothing that would kill him. I guess that would be bad. Right. Um, he when he throws the Molotov cocktail at the speedboat, I'm like, yeah, down with the bourgeoisie. You know, like it's a speedboat, like <laughs> uh-huh. that's great. Like right. yeah. we can we can blow up speedboats, and that right. that fits within my moral framework mm-hmm. uh, currently. But you know, who knows?
0: Right. Who knows? Yeah. No, I I totally agree, and that's the thing is like that element of, like, this is just a guy living his life. Like, maybe they're not the smartest decisions, but, like...
1: But also, I think it's just so fascinating how Jason fits into, like, the Florida of it all. Um, Because to me, Florida is such, like, a little wrinkle in this view of America and how it views itself. And probably specifically how, like, the liberal elite media... Hollywood types, right? You can think all you want about America and then Florida just keeps happening, right? <laughs> and this is really ramped up since 2016. Like, if we think about Ron DeSantis, everything going on with Florida right now, like, it is wild. It mm-hmm. is truly wild. And I'm like, don't want to make jokes about it, except I'm like, Florida has always been revealing what we really are, you know, mm-hmm. like, rem- America like, has a lot of issues. The, and what Florida is doing right now with its schools and what people are allowed to teach, like, it's very interesting to me. And people like Jason that can just be like, yeah, this place is incredibly messed up and I'm going to dance. You know, uh-huh. I'm just like, that's such a valid reaction uh-huh. to being shown systemic societal failure over and over and over again. You know, mm-hmm. like to say, like, screw it. I'm going to be who I am and I'm going to dance. Like, that is Gen Z in a nutshell, if you ask me. I mean,
0: I am surprised, like, thinking about Jason and, like, just thinking of him first, watch around as just the silly guy. Yeah. I, as even as we're talking, I'm like, I am surprised at how much we are admiring Jason I, I'm now. Like,
1: that is such a difference between how I first watched the show when I was still an evangelical and white knuckling it through life and I mm-hmm. still believed. There were rules I could follow
2: mm-hmm. to be a
1: good person and get not just into heaven, but like make Christianity good,
2: mm-hmm. make
1: America good. And I think there's so much fun stuff for me going back around. Um, I just, you know, was there anything you felt like you had to hide to be a good person in evangelical Christianity?
0: Ah, uh, I, I mean, lots. And I think, I mean, I, I yeah, I think about like. Probably the biggest thing was just all along not feeling as connected to God, not yeah. feeling the joy of the Lord, like all those things, just like
1: like something was off.
0: Right, feeling yeah. like something was off like all those years. Like I remember us like going to church in 2012. Yeah. And just being like there's just something really wrong with me, but I guess I'll just keep going. You know, and that's
1: why you know I think first watch round we really identified with Tahani and Chidi,
2: mm-hmm. both people who are
1: trying. Like, yeah, we deserve to be here. This this system is working as designed, and but oh, we both feel kind of terrible.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: okay, well, let's get to the next part, which is you might have religious trauma if. Thank um, you
0: for doing the accent. Yeah,
1: I was trying. To, yeah. I can't really do a Jeff Fox with you, but that was my attempt. Uh, you love this segment. What do you have, babe?
0: No, you got to start. Me? Uh-huh.
1: Okay. Uh, you might have religious trauma if you got really sweaty at that dining room scene where everybody had to stand up and go around and talk about their meal, okay? <laughs> because this is such like a youth group or like a church camp or like a church setting experience, right? where everybody has to go around and share something or it's like a group prayer and you're like I have to do something that shows I am spiritual, I'm tracking.
0: That's insightful. That's very
1: insightful. Like I have to share and like I don't know if you remember like testimony nights, right, when you had to confess some, some sin in your life, which by the way is cult 101.
2: Mm-hmm. Is getting people
1: to confess things cuz then you feel bonded to the group and you need that group to feel better about yourself from that point on. So anyways, that's a cult tactic. I experienced that a lot. And I was like a homeschooled pastor's kid who was doing everything right. And so I would be stressed and like, I have to rack my brain to be like, what's a sin? I can confess. (laughs) Because I never did anything.
0: Right.
1: You know? Yeah. So that's what I thought of.
0: Yeah, I love that. I I had forgotten about that experience. And as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, yes, I totally remember. Right, yeah. Like counting like how many people. How many people
1: took us to be. And I have to either share like something God's done uh, in my life or something I learned in scripture. You know, I'm just mm
0: -hmm, like, wow. Right. Yeah, that or like, you know, the prayer, you know, nights where you got to pray something that is, you know, it's like your turn to pray and. Okay. So for me, um there's this scene where um Chidi asks Eleanor, "Did you read the book from David Hume?" Um and <laughs> Eleanor says, "I did. Well, I tried to. Well, I tried to want to." I
1: tried to want to.
0: And that
1: uh-huh.
0: is It's a great line. Right. And really it so it reminds me of this uh quote that I that I was always thinking about from This old saint, St. Teresa of Avila, where she says, oh, God, I don't love you. I don't even want to love you, but I want to want to love you. Oh, my God. So this idea. Teresa,
1: go take a nap. (laughs)
0: Right. (laughs) I would say now. Just, yeah. And just that feeling of like, I don't feel this. It doesn't feel right to me, but I must be the problem. And I don't even want to fix this problem, but I should want to want to fix this problem. Yeah. Right. Uh, Just it always comes back to you. It's it's never a problem with the system. It's that you're if you're not feeling it, then there's a problem with you. Which. yeah. I first heard that quote, first read that quote in a book called Reaching for the Invisible God by oh, Philip Yancey. Oh my
1: gosh. Are you going to do a segue right
0: now? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. That was why I said you need to go first because I wanted to tack this on, which wow. is just that we've been doing uh, our Patreon only episode and we've been doing these books from the bad place uh, where we took a- talk about evangelical books and we talked about Dr. Dobson before, mm-hmm. but this time we talked about Philip Yancey. Um, and really talk about this. The- Wait, can I
1: interrupt? Yes. Philip Yancey was like the managing editor of Christianity Today for several decades. He's written very a lot of best-selling books for white evangelicals. His books have sold like 17 million copies, and all of them are like, I have my doubts about God, but let me convince you why you should stay Christian.
0: Exactly. Yeah. You would think that he's almost an outsider, the way that he writes. Oh, he's
1: 100% the insider of insiders, but yes.
0: Exactly. Uh, But he's always like, yeah, I have doubts too. Like, things don't work for me. Like, I don't feel God sometimes. Um but no one else is going to love you the way that God loves you. You can't give up. It's really hard.
1: But don't ever give up. Don't but ever don't, leave. Don't ever leave. Don't, this is the good place, even it, though it doesn't feel like it.
0: Exactly. Don't ever,
1: ever leave.
0: Yes. The frozen yogurt is delicious. <laughs> Actually, no, it's more like, yeah, the frozen yogurt, it doesn't, it's not really that it great. It does have
1: a sour taste to it. But, but that doesn't
0: mean that this isn't the good place.
1: No yogurt will ever love you like
0: frozen yogurt <laughs> does.
1: So you guys can listen to that. Join our Patreon, $4 a month. We're putting mm-hmm. out excellent content. I will mm-hmm. say that. Um, I'll toot our own horn. We have a monthly Books from the Bad Place, and then we have a monthly Spoiler sode. which I there's so many things I want to talk about right now that I can't talk about right now. We will be talking about that mm-hmm. for our Patreons. You can find all that info. Come join us. We have a great Facebook group. Okay. I want to get to fun facts. Great. Is that okay to say? Uh, First fun fact, uh, when they were alive on Earth, Eleanor made money by selling fake drugs to old people, and Jason made money by selling fake drugs to young people.
0: I noticed that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay. I also always have to mention who Tawny name drops. Do you remember any of them? I don't. I already mentioned two.
0: Uh, I mean, is getting five Gwyneths yep. from Sophisticate Magazine.
1: Gwyneth Paltrow, the goopness of it all. Okay. And then we had Princess Stephanie of Monaco. And then poschenbecks Victoria Beckham and David Beckham. And then uh, Michael does bring up Beyonce in a very memeable
2: mm-hmm. point. You
1: know, anything can be up to 104% perfect. That's how you got Beyonce. Yeah. Um, That I don't okay. What else do I have here? Okay, I did look up because in the background of this show, you can sometimes see like the names of the places, and some of the writers at the Good Place are just so good at puns. Did you notice anything? Obviously, like the Good Plates, the good plates, the main restaurant in this, okay? But I guess in like season one, like episode one, two, and three, there's you can see some of these things, and somebody wrote it out. I'll just tell you my favorite, okay? One place is called Warm Blankets, one place is called y- Your Anticipated Needs. We have the small, adorable Animal Depot. We have a store that's called Everything Fits! Exclamation mark! Now let's get to my favorite part. We have Yogurt Acres. We have Let's All Eat Yogurt. We have Good Place's Best Yogurt, GPBY. We have Yogurt Horizons. My absolute favorite one is Yogurt... Yogurt, yogurt, yogurt. And yogurt is full different each iteration.
0: <laughs> I do remember that. In episode that. two,
1: we had the suggestion of yogurt. <laughs> I just can't get over it. I'm sorry. The yogurt, the the amount of frozen yogurt places, I can't get over it. Okay, um I don't know if you want to get me to give you any fun facts on uh the weird philosophers that Chidi's talking about because I tried looking them up.
0: So are these fun facts or are these just like the beginnings of Wikipedia articles? Yeah, these are
1: like, David Hume, what did he do? Was he about?
0: <laughs> who is David Hume? I, I don't think, even know. I think I know who everyone else is. He
1: he has a lot of good ratings on Goodreads. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's but your fun I, fact. When I try and is look... David
0: Hume has a lot of good ratings on Goodreads.
1: Yes. <laughs> he does. Um... Much more than you and you and I have gotten on our <laughs> books, I'll say that. Uh, but all of these people, when I try and read like the Wikipedia about them, I'm just like, I don't care. None of these people are trauma informed. I really don't care. Uh, I will. I will say another of my fun facts are there's some posters at the end. Tahani is putting up a poster because she has decided to like help Michael help. This the good plates restaurant, even though it has a sinkhole, it's all gonna be patched up soon. And so she makes like a poster for the next grand reopening, which is gonna be in a few days, and it says, Food so good it ripped a hole in the universe. <laughs> and I just love how she's like doing her thing, which is like, I'll spin this tragedy. Like and mm-hmm. and it's kinda of sad because she even mentions like I'll have a brunch every morning just to boost morale until we can open, you know, just going into people pleaser mode. Mm-hmm. Um some of the other posters where she hung up her thing say things like train your cat to do tricks which if i was in heaven that would that's the class i'm signing up for mm-hmm. there's one that says 100% sale on yogurt
2: <laughs> there's one
1: that says free puppies they last forever and another one that says massages until you fall asleep <laughs> so i just like all of these like things that you would find in heaven and then yogurt it's always Good things you would find in heaven. A ton of yogurt uh-huh. shit. So there we go. Those are my really fun facts.
0: It's it's wild how different this conception of heaven is from what we were raised with, which was just you sing worship songs to God twenty four hours a day.
1: Oh, we'll get into that in another episode. But yes.
0: <laughs> I just want to mention that like I like as a kid, if I had known like, you know, massages, I don't know if I was a kid that it was yes. in the mass- Cats, puppies, puppies like that would have been way better. You, okay,
1: this
0: way is, more exciting. Not to
1: like get all into trauma town, but do you remember as a kid when you asked your parents like, "Are there dogs and cats in heaven?" Because that was a big question to me. I was a cat kid. This is like non-binary, autistic, whatever. Yes, uh-huh. I was obsessed with cats. Yes, they were my only friend. Yes, we get it. Okay. Mm. Um, you don't remember asking?
0: No, we didn't have cats or d- I was afraid of dogs and. Uh, my dad chased all the cats out of our yard with a hose all the time.
1: Well, I did. You know what my parents told me? What? They said, no, they don't have souls. End of discussion. And then I'm left to sort of grapple with that and be very sad. So
0: We're hitting that point again where it's like, heaven is supposed to be something that's supposed to help kids feel good.
1: I had no and, friends. And- I only had my cat. And I was told the cat didn't have a soul.
0: That is very sad. That is very sad. I mean, were you allowed to watch all dogs go to heaven?
1: Yeah, it was my younger sister's, like, uh, hyperfixation.
0: Oh, because I remember that being outlawed in some Christians, uh, in some churches. No, my
1: parents liked it because it proved to their point that heaven was real, but... Wow. Well. Just, you know, they didn't actually believe in the dog thing. So I- <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's my fun fact.
0: Okay, we got a listener question. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and play it. Hey, Mayfield. This is Andrew from Atlanta, Georgia. Huge fan. Love all the work you're doing. Love the vibes of this season. So much fun. I just want a keychain. No, but seriously, how do we exit the spaces we've been in for so long, critique them without using the same lenses and models that we were given in those systems uh trying to find ways out of this place but it's hard to know if my thinking is even my own thinking so much brainwashing thanks so much y'all keep up the amazing amazing work
1: that's a great question
0: yes i love it so much i have thoughts on it it's all right if i if i give some thoughts Yeah, do it i think so we've been talking about this aspect of you know Ancient books telling us what's right. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the framework, right? That I think well, a lot of us were conservative given.
1: white men who interpreted the ancient books and told us what to think about them. But yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of like what upholds the system, what creates the most peace within the system, yeah. not actual peace, but what uh, doesn't rock the boat, right? What sort mm-hmm. of logical, quote unquote, from a certain standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so I think the antidote to that is getting in touch with your body and noticing, like, what are the emotions that come up? What Mm -hmm. is my experience? Um, What are the experiences of other people, especially those who tend to be – especially those who are harmed or oppressed by these systems? Um, But I think just starting with this, like – how do I feel in this space? What do I notice coming up? That doesn't always give us objective truth, which I don't think there is any,
2: mm-hmm. but it
0: gives us really important information. So that's, yeah. that's I think, one of the things that is really important. And even just like, I know I keep on coming back to this, but I'm sitting here again in front of our bookshelf thinking about all the books that I've read, trying to figure it all out.
1: In our cheaty phase.
0: And I am really loving being in a place where I can just like check in with my body about like... What feels true in this moment? Is this a good thing or a bad thing for me? Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of making decisions based on that.
1: Yeah, I'll get real specific and I'll say, honestly, the best thing you can do is to understand that you have been a product of indoctrination, childhood indoctrination. You know, if you were born and raised in white evangelicalism, some people opt into it. I still think like lots of people get brainwashed. It doesn't mean you're not smart or any of those things. Um, you might have some trauma that makes you vulnerable to to things, of course, but just identifying that what you've experienced is literally brainwashing. And you can if you don't believe me, you can look up Robert Lifton's, you know, eight methods of Brainwashing tactics that he studied in Maoist China, and almost all of them match up to uh, evangelical indoctrination culture. So that is literally what's happened. And the best thing you can do to combat a bunch of brainwashing is to get in touch with who you actually are. And I've done that in a variety of methods, Um, somatic. Therapy and somatic work where it connects you to your physical body is such a huge thing for people who come out of evangelicalism where we're just always policing our thoughts and trying to get our thoughts you know in a cheaty way and that's why again I love Jason he's a dancer like literally that's one of the best antidotes to brainwashing is being a physical being finding ways to move your body singing singing songs that aren't Uh, worship indoctrination songs. Like, you probably have many, many hours of having to sing uh, worship songs if you grew up like us. Um, Find some stuff you actually like to sing and do that. Um, These are just my little tips and tricks. And just have some fun doing what you want to do for no other good purpose than you like to do it. Uh, Also, my question for the person who sent in, the question is, do you want a keychain that says Bortles or do you want a keychain that says Yogurt? yogurt yogurt uh because i'll make you one of those and that's our offer to anyone if you call in uh to our number give us a question and we put it up i'm gonna make you a weird ass keychain okay
0: love it thanks again andrew for calling in thank you so much uh time for the good place segment
1: like what's good what's good
0: right what's giving you life right now
1: we live in a hellscape
0: i mean remember how i
1: was catastrophizing so much this week
0: And then the sun turned red.
1: I know. Okay, but no, we can't talk about that. What is good? Crispin, what's good?
0: Uh, I'm worried I'm going to steal yours, but I am really enjoying this reality TV show we are watching called Best in Miniature, Mm -hmm. where people compete by building the best miniature houses.
1: Yeah, miniatures is awesome. That's not mine, though. What's yours? Oh, mine is uh, trans kids. Mm. Trans kids are great, and they need to be protected at all costs, and they are the ones who are asking our society if we will let kids be who they really are, or if we are going to turn them into a scapegoat in order to get votes, and if we as a society are okay with that or not. And they're beautiful, precious, and they deserve to be protected. And we're failing them right now. But they are good. So that's what I want to say.
0: Wow. Way to take the good place segment and tie it back. But trans
1: kids are so good. Yes. They really are. Uh If we could just listen to them, our society would radically change for the better.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So
1: that's how I'm ending it today. Yeah. This is what happens when you let me be the (laughs) show notes runner or whatever. (laughs) thanks everyone for listening along um we are so enjoying this rewatch show thanks for all your support thanks for supporting our patreon we have more patrons than we've ever had before even though we keep getting more and more intense so
0: <laughs> so great
1: i'm shocked thanks so much we love our facebook group come join us and uh we'll see you next time for episode
0: five bye y'all This has been an episode of This is the Bad Place, a special season of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram by searching Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. You can find us on the web at propheticimaginationstation.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 503-912-4130 or record a voice memo and send it to propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Join our Patreon community to hear two extra episodes a month and join our Facebook group to discuss episodes and more. And we hope you'll join us.